This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. Hey man, so I've got it. I think I got a good, I'll squeak this thing in in another good two hours or so. So anyway, um, so we've got, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. Um, I'm going to just, I'm going to just keep an eye on the time. Okay. Um, and, uh, whatever we get to is what we get to. Um, sometimes you just need one word of God, you know, you don't need to throw a bunch of nuggets out there and hope somebody catches one, right? There's the shotgun preacher and there's the rifle preacher, right? Um, I'm more of a shotgunner, but hey, whatever, we'll make this work. So why don't you, before we begin, um, I'm going to get them set, ready to go. So um, you guys, can, can you bring it to Colossians chapter 3, just the entire chapter, the first handful of verses in Colossians chapter 3? Um, we'll go to verse uh, 11. Let's go to verse verse ten. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get more into that scripture. There's man, the context is is unbelievable. Um, but so so I'm gonna share with you real quick while while you're getting that ready to go. Um, so from uh, approval with with the ministry team and Steve and and uh, Pastor Christie and everybody, um, we made a decision to do a a three week series. <sighs> And one of the reasons is, is my, um, we recognize what's happening in the world around us, right? Is it crazy or is it not crazy? It's crazy. It's, you'd be, you'd be crazy not to think it's crazy because it is crazy. There's a lot happening right now. Um, and there's, there's division like you wouldn't, wouldn't believe, um, we talk about, I, we, we assume it's simply a political divide. It is not. It is not a political divide. It is such a division um, that, that it is, it's dividing dividers, okay? Yeah. Uh, it is. It really is. And even in the church, um, even some of the same people who you have the same value system as, all of a sudden get, people get religious, and they say, if you don't agree with me, you're not a part of me. If you don't do what I do, then you're not like me, and boom, all of a sudden the church is divided too. I felt like the Lord wanted to communicate to the church, specifically to the church. It's time to get our focus upward where it needs to be. Um, It's easy, it's easy to look around. Oh my goodness, is it easy? It's easy to look at your social media feed. It's easy to look at the news. And I love how people are like, I don't watch the news. Yeah, but yeah, but you have your own sources of news, right? I mean, you might have YouTube. Maybe that's your news source. The point is, is that you're still, you still got your eyes on the wrong things. And we're actually supposed to be doing what the Father calls us to do. And we're not supposed to be reactionary to the things around us. And the church is getting reactionary. And I've even seen some people, uh, they get, they're, they're, like in, they're like calling out for civil war. I'm like, civil war? What are you thinking? 
What is wrong with you? Does civil war line up with the cross? Are you carrying your cross? Can you look up the can you look and stare up on that cross and say Jesus didn't die for them? He only died for our group. Us for no more. And that is it. Um and we got to get our focus up because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the the darkness, the spiritual wickedness and and they are in high places. And 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 what you don't see the reality is what you don't see is actually generating what, what you do see. And we just look at what we see and we freak out about it. All right, so let's start with uh, Colossians chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's stop there. I'm, I'm going to get to the rest of the verse, but let's just start with a word of prayer. Amen. Why don't you pray along with me? Amen. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here today for your written word to become living today. That we're not just reading a a text here, an old, 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 old text, um, 2,000 years old, but we we are reading words that become living and life. And we cannot have truth without the spirit of truth. So we invite the spirit of truth into the house right now to speak to every single heart in this place. In Jesus' name, and we all say, amen. amen. All right. All right, so let's, let's talk about kingdom and eternity, okay? When I, when I, I just want to clarify what I mean when I say kingdom and eternity, okay? I do not mean eternity future, okay? I mean the reality of God's reign and rule, The Bible says the kingdom is neither here nor there. It is among you or is within you, okay? The kingdom of God is neither eat, meat, nor nor drink, but it is peace, it is righteousness, and it is joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is there. You have access to the kingdom, whether you live in America or you live in another country outside of America, another nation, whatever. You have access to God's kingdom and where Jesus is reigning and ruling seated in heavenly places at the right hand. Now let me just clarify right hand. Right hand is two things. One, it is authority. The number one most quoted scripture in the New Testament from the Old Testament is Psalm 110. And it says that he is seated at the right hand until, he, until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And so he is in a place of authority. He is in a place where he reigns, where he rules. He is king. He is Lord. He is glorified. And quite frankly, quite frankly, I just don't, I just don't value any system that re-empowers a disempowered devil. Where we're like afraid of him. 
where we have more faith in Satan than we do in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And we anticipate, oh, Satan's going to catch us. Let, let's just, I preach this to the, to the young people all the time. The definition of Satan in the Bible. The word Satan actually comes from a verb that means to deceive or to accuse. And so it's actually from that verb and it's made into a descriptive noun um, or, or a descriptive name for our adversary. And so let me tell you about, about how Satan actually works. Okay, do you know that you know that every time Satan opens up his mouth, it is not a lie? Did you know that? Because you say, every time he opens up his mouth, it's a lie. That's what you've heard, but that's not true. Because he quotes scripture, doesn't he? He quotes scripture. Good liars do not lie 100% of the time. Good liars know how to take a whole lot of truth, a whole lot of truth, and put a little lie in there to trip you up, to, to twist it, just to twist it, right? Just to twist it, right? Good example of this is, boy, you are a terrible sinner, right? The, the Bible says we're sinners, doesn't it? So we're sinners saved by grace. No one is good, no, not one. We're sinners, that's it. But you know, what the, you know what the next part of that is, right? Saved by grace, right? But he will say, Satan will say, look how bad you, you're terrible. You're awful. Oh, your sin is going to follow you the rest of your life. You will never overcome your past. Oh, you'll never get through this. You'll never conquer this. You'll never win here. Oh, look at, oh man, your kids, they're going in a wrong direction. Oh, they'll be, when they're 30, they're going to, they're going to be mass murderers. That's, that's what we, we go to the worst case scenario. What is it about being human that go to the worst case scenarios? Maybe it's something inside of ourselves. I said this this week. It's funny that the best psychology books tell us that the best psychology studies tell us that if we give our kids one compliment for every criticism, they will grow up to hate themselves. Actually, the, if you want to get into it, probably the best, the best amount of criticism to compliment should be a four-to-one compliment to criticism. And the reason that is, is because there's something inside of ourselves where we know, where we feel like there is something wrong. And where does that come from? That comes from the voice of the accuser. He accuses us. And so we need to be hearing less of the accuser and we need to be hearing more of God and what he says about us. Okay, so we've all heard this text. We're talking about this scripture. We're talking about putting on the new man, okay? And we've all heard the messages of hellfire, brimstone, every pressure and manipulative technique that is possible to actually keep us from sinning. How many of you have ever heard the, heard the messages? I mean, I've, ever since I was young, I heard the messages about preach to keep me from sinning, right? And every, every technique in the book was used to keep me from sinning. And, and this is what's interesting about how, how this thing works out. I mean, we, we, do, we try to find all kinds of reasons why not to sin, don't we? 
All kinds of reasons. So, right, I, 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 I got a new life, right? A new ministry, so that means I need to get my act together. Right? The Lord's returning tomorrow. That means I better hurry and try really hard to get this thing together. Clean myself up real good and start walking straight. Right? Hey, I'm, a, I'm married now. So, so I better stop, you know, letting the internet catch me at bad moments. Right? Your search history starts chasing you then, don't, doesn't it? So people do all these different things to try to keep them from, from sinning. Guess what? None of this stuff works. It might work for a season. Because the reality is, is what we see here in Colossians, that you're a dead person. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that God is not out to tame your heart. He's out to transform your heart. He, he's not putting duct tape on your life. He's like, oh, yeah, let me fix that. Let me. He doesn't want to fix you. He wants to remake you. And you, when you get the concept that you are a different person and you belong to a different kingdom and you belong to a different reality, then you walk differently. But if you belong to this reality, if you belong to what's around you, if you belong to the, you'll try really, really hard and you will never get it. Because you know what you need? You need the thief on the cross theology. You know what the thief on the cross theology is? This is my theology. The thief on the cross was on the cross, turned to Jesus, had nothing to offer him, no future life. He wasn't on the cross going, hey Jesus, I'll give you my life and then you use me, right, to fix everything I've ever done wrong. No, he didn't have any of that. He didn't have anything to offer God. He was a thief on the cross and the only thing he had to offer Jesus was his past and himself. That's all he had to offer. I, I'm just here to tell you today, Jesus does ha expects literally nothing from you but you to put your faith in him. No, no, no. He, I used to hear this saying um, in the old Pentecostal holiness churches I, I used to be a part of. They used to preach on God using you. Okay. And uh, this is, this is, by the way, this is not, not good. I'm going to, I'm going to break it down for you in a second. But they used to say, um, what if God wanted to use you like this? I would say that's not God. I would say that's the voice of the accuser. Because just read Romans chapter eight. Just read it for me. Take the time and meditate on Romans chapter eight. And you will see that no, we are not led as sheep to the slaughter. You read that scripture and he says, we are all accounted as sheep to the slaughter. No. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And nothing shall separate us from his love. And our life, our life here on earth, oh yeah, it may dwindle, it may die, but he values who we are. And he wants us. You know, your marriage is more important to God than your ministry. You know, your family, your family is more important to God than your ministry. Your family is your first ministry. And so God has every intention, every intention of working these details out in your life. He has every intention. 
Every intention. And I know you're going to throw a lot of scripture at me, and I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, but I trust in one thing, the character and nature of God. And God is good. God is good. God doesn't fix people, he remakes them. He doesn't restrain the heart, he renews the heart. And you can't do this unless you first get the concept that you are a thief on the cross and you are poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. Yes, that's right. You have nothing to offer. You don't, there is nothing you will offer God that God will be like, hey, thanks for that. <laughs> I didn't have that. You know what I'm saying? What does he say about, I'm not the one who says our righteousness is dung. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. I'm not the one who says our righteousness is filthy rags, menstrual cycle rags. I didn't say that. God said that. And guess what? We get from God a divine record from Jesus because he actually is perfect and is righteous. And we get to walk in that. That's what we get to walk in. We don't walk in ourselves. We walk in him. And so when we look at putting off the old man, let's take the pressure, man. Take the pressure off. It, the Bible says that he has created us to walk in good works. That if we find him first and foremost, that he will actually make us zealous for good works. But if we try to do it in and of ourselves, we become a mess. And if you've ever seen religion play out, I've seen it played out because I've been a part of religion. And when religion plays out, it does not produce the intended result, the intended fruit that Christ came to set us free with. I've been a part of it. I've seen people try really hard and then end up sinning worse than the heathen. I want to read these next few scriptures. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. So, since you're dead, therefore put to death what, is, what belongs in your earthly nature. By the way, this is Colossians 3, and we're going to verse 5. Therefore put to death what belongs in your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you have put it off. The old self with, the, with, with its practices and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. He doesn't just say take it off though. He doesn't just say take it off because you can't, just, you can't just expect that by you doing your best to not do sinful things that that's going to function. He says, this is how you take it off. You have to also put something else on in place of it. And he says, put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. What we are seeing right now in our society from Christianity is not healthy. We are not right wing, we are not left wing, we are Jesus wing. 
Okay? I'm not a red pillar. You know what I am? I'm a gospeler. 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 I take the gospel. I'm all about the gospel. You will not be transformed by your. Yes. And you won't, you, I'm going to tell you, you will not be transformed by your political values. I, I don't, hey, I, I love, absolutely love the concept of free market capitalism. His kingdom is still better. His kingdom is still better. I, I love there's checks and balances in our government. Maybe not, we're not seeing as much right now. I love it, but, it, I lo- but listen, the check and balance in the kingdom is God and his priests and kings. God and his priests and, we are God, we are, we are, we're not God. We are God's priests and kings. And we get to co-labor with him in the kingdom. We need to live in the kingdom. And we need to function that everywhere we go, we are bringing kingdom. We're bringing kingdom. We are not bringing this or that. Now, I have, I'm going to say, you guys know my political, most of you know my political values. And so it's no problem with, with you to, you hear me say this and you go, well, I still know where you stand on things. But you know what? <laughs> when you make a little thing the main thing, that's when it becomes a problem because the main thing, let's keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. All right. So, here's, here's, here's what we'll fight. This is what you'll fight with being a Christian. You'll fight with this. And uh, I've had conversations with people about being wholeheartedly unreserved follower of Jesus. And they have a difficult time being that way with the people that actually know who they are. Family members, right? Family members or your friends or your past friends, right? There's a story. Apparently, it's a true story um, about one of the old... One of the old theologians, and he tells this story. He says that there was a girl. He used to live this terrible life before he found Jesus, and he was very promiscuous. And this girl came up to him and was like, hey, it's me. It's me. It's your, you know, and he's just gradually, you know, having a conversation with her, not and she, they walk away from the conversation, and she turns back, and she says, don't you recognize? It's I. It is I. And he turns to her, and he says, yes, but it is not I. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it does not. We, we have a difficult time because people see us as, do they remember you as a jerk? They remember you as a coward, remember you as a drunk, a party animal. Maybe they see you as shy, and now you're bold. Or maybe they see you as inconsistent, and now you're faithful. And somehow you're trying your best to convince them that you are not the person you were before. You don't have to convince them. You just have to be what you are. That's it. You don't have to try to convince anybody what you are. You just have to be what you are called to be. 
And so, guess what? That's not you anymore. You are a new person in Christ Jesus. And so Ephesians 5, 3 says this, let all sexual immorality and purity or covetous not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let's talk a little bit about how we really repent of our sins. Let's see here. It's here, I promise. Well, I remember it anyway, so. Notes help me, but I, I can remember. So, our first step, our very first step of the process of what we have to do as Christians is we first and foremost have to recognize. And recognition is a very difficult thing because it usually has to come with some form of a revelation. Um, Recognition, when you recognize your sin, you can usually recognize whether or not you have lust. Usually, usually you can recognize that, right? There are some things you can recognize. You can recognize if you have, um, if you like desiring to get drunk, right? You have an alcohol desire or a drug desire, right? You can recognize that. You know that a lot of people don't recognize when they're greedy? A lot of people, those are the sins, or proud. Pride is, uh, pride is very hard. It's, it's untastable, it's, it's undetectable. You can't recognize it, and before you know it, it kills you. A lot, a lot of times it's hard to see when you have pride. Pride sneaks up on you quickly because some people, they go around falsely humble and they don't think they have pride. And the best thing to do is just admit you have pride, right? We all have some form of pride. We just have to admit it. So recognition is important. One thing we have to do is we have to make sure that we don't tell ourselves things that aren't true. And one of the ways we tell ourselves things aren't true is we actually take our sin and we make it virtue. Do you know what I'm saying? We take our sin, right? I'm not greedy. I'm not stingy. I'm just thrifty, right? I'm not proud. I'm just confident or the other side, I'm, I'm not, right, I'm not self-abasing, I'm just humble, right? I don't hate anybody, I mean, I don't really hate anybody, except that you actually hate people, except that you can't stand people, except that you, when you look at them, you just, oh, you just get this just detestable taste in your mouth. That's not, that's not righteous indignation, right? That's filthiness. Some people, they call it discernment, and it's not discernment, it's just suspicion. I know a lot of people that are discerning spirits, and I'm like, you got that same spirit on you. You have that. You, you, you're telling me that that person has it. I know that person, but I don't know you. And sometimes our discernment is actually suspicion. So what do we have to do? We have to be honest and upfront and recognize and not, how many times, I've heard this, so many, you know, people, well, I just have a, I just have a strong libido, strong drive, right? Do you have that or do you have lust? 
I mean, just a question. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I'm just here to tell you today, I, this is not, if you're feeling what's around you right now in our society and you're being bombarded, hey, I'm here to tell you this right now, um, I feel you. I understand. I completely understand. We're being bombarded from every side for us to, to be taken by a sin. Because Satan, what does he do? He, he, he throws out the bait and he hides the hook. And that's what he does. He throws out the bait, he hides the hook. And so when we think of temptation, a lot of times we just think of one thing. But I find it interesting that when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, he didn't send, send him to the red light district. You notice that? Because it's not just about this one thing. You, you think that your struggle is this or that, and it might be way deeper than that. It might be something that happened to you when you were eight or nine years old, and you cannot get over the propensity you struggle with. It might have been something done wrong to you. So first step is recognition. And with that recognition, say, I've been hurt too. I was hurt too. And I have to forgive too. The next thing is, after recognition, is that you actually have to take responsibility. You you actually have to say, you know, the sin is my sin. Well, I sin because of this. Well, I sinned because of that. Well, I sinned because they made me do this and this happened and I struggle with this because of this and that and all these different things that took place in my life. No, stop that. Forgive first and then recognition and then responsibility. Take responsibility for your own, your own sin. It is my sin. It is my sin And it is what I'm struggling with and is what I'm fighting through. I have to take responsibility for this sin. And the next step is repentance. And repentance is a funny thing. Because repentance is always, the assumption with repentance is it always is is necessary for there to be tears or the baby weeping. And and sometimes that is the case. Sometimes weeping over your sin is, is understandable. But repentance is a very different thing when you see it from the biblical writers and how they communicated it. The Greek word of it is the word metanoia, which means change your mind. Change your mind. That's it, change your mind. So what do you do? You change your mind. But changing your mind is interesting because changing your mind about something requires you to get on another team. We sometimes think that in order to repent, that we actually walk into repentance like this. I don't want to do anything like that ever again. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. What we really have to do is, I don't want to do anything like that ever again. And now we get on Team Jesus and we, we fight. We, we fight against the pervasive nature of that sin and other sins that we are repenting of. We fight to see redemption from all those who have experienced this or experienced that or been victimized from that or been hurt by that. What happens when people, in what we've observed, when people 
go through the process of being delivered from alcohol or drugs. What do we see from those people? We see that all of a sudden they become proponents and they fight with other people in overcoming that thing. Right, Richard? They fight. They fight. You got to fight. You got to get on the other team. You cannot stay on this team and go, I'm just going to run from this thing. Yeah, flee, flee, flee from the sin, yes. But you actually have to get and you have to be prepared. Now you are in the Lord's army. Put on your, put on your armory. And now it's time you're on a different team. You're on the kingdom team. Next is revival. Revival. Revival is when you see a transformation. A transformation sometimes of incredible repentance. The power of God. Things change. Cities change. Events change. I want you to get a bigger vision. This is what we're talking about, about looking up. Looking up and seeing Jesus means that your vision will determine your trajectory. And if your vision is really tiny, then what will happen is you will find yourself staring square at the sin that you just overcame. You have to rise above that And the way you rise above that is where you place your eyes. And your vision has to be so big that that looks just so small. Why would I even, why would I touch that? Why would I go close to that? Why would I, why would I give up my birthright for a bowl of soup? You know what I'm saying? You have to get to where you start seeing it as, oh, I can't do that because I've got something big here and I, I've got eternity in mind. I've got souls to, to, to bring to Jesus. I've got a life to bring. I've got children to raise in the fear and the admonition and the, and the love of God. I've got all these different things to do. I can't look at this and let this thing take me up into a bad place. You know the bait's there, right? I mean, you know, it's there. What do you have to do? You have to kick the bait. You have to get to the point where you see things. And this is where revival happens. Revival happens in an atmosphere where God is glorified. God is glorified. Now, here's the deal about God. Sometimes, and I I think I said this a few weeks ago, but when you see God as just useful... I come to worship because I, I praise God because I want to get... We, we have a church right now that is trying to get through service. We're just trying to get through it. Let's just get through it. Let's just get through it. We got things to do. We got places to go. We got things to accomplish. We got a business to run. We got a life to do. We got, and we need to stop. Listen, it's once a week. We need to stop trying to get through it and let's get in it. You know what I'm saying? Let's get in it because if we get in it, then we will see the Lord of glory. When Isaiah saw... God seated, he cried out and say, oh, he, he, by the way, he placed a curse on himself. I don't know if you realize this. Whenever you say, woe is me, that's you saying, I'm dead, I'm dead. I'm gone for. I, I mean, it's over for me. I'm done. 
That's what he was thinking. He saw the presence of God and he said, oh man, he's a prophet and his lips are unclean. His lips are unclean. He is the one who speaks on behalf of God and his first response is, my lips are unclean. I should not be a prophet. And that's what he does and he sees that and the Bible says that God atones for the sin through an angel who touches his lips so as the sin is atoned for and his first response is not, oh, man, the world is really bad. He doesn't say that, does he? Oh, the world though. Man, isn't it ugly out there? I don't even watch the news. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, send me. Send me. And we need to be calling out God. Send me. Send me. Send me. We're, we're, we're doing this around the mountain. 40 years in the wilderness. Around the mountain. Same mountain. Do, 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 do. And we got our little 613 commandments. Let's not do this and let's not do that. And let's, do, let's stop this and let's not go there. And be careful of this and be careful of that. And be careful... And we're marching around the same stupid mountain. And God's saying, I need you. Hello? The giants are in the land. And they are for bread for us. They're meat for us. The giants are in the land. They're for meat for us. No, but, but Satan is just so big. You should not. Do not raise up any value system that re-empowers a disempowered devil. Jesus says, behold, all authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and earth. Guess what he says? Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon scorpions, to tread upon snakes. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And over all the power of the enemy, over all the power of the enemy, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what Jesus says. I saw Satan fall from his high place and he fell to the ground. Well, guess what? You know who's in a high place right now? Jesus. Jesus. And all authority is in his hands, both in heaven and earth. You know, he's praying for you right now. I, I, I'm not getting with this whole thing where it's like, you're afraid of losing your salvation. Look to Jesus. You're not gonna, you're gonna lose your salvation. Look to Jesus. Some of we're so trying so hard to fight against eternal security that we're, we want to have eternal insecurity all the time. We're worried that we're going to do something that God's going to throw something in our way and He's going to, we're going to trip up. That's why we don't want to pray prayers like "God refine me," because we're afraid that His we're afraid that God is actually going to like kill our ch children or something. When we pray that, because we don't trust in the character of God. We think God is out to get us. We think God is trying to find every opportunity to send us to hell, to destroy our world, to take our children, to make us sick. Oh, you sinned. That's the reason you probably have that sickness, because you sinned. Come on, man. We're hearing the voice of the accuser every direction we're turning and we need to, in the name of Jesus, we need to say, stop it. It's not, right now, it's not, it's, not, it's not even about overworking. It's not even about getting stuff done. It's about overflowing. It's about overflowing. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. I did not want to take this long. Um, 
I got to close because it is noon. It is noon. Um, If you ever hear me preach at any length of time, I'm a repetitive preacher. I repeat things over and 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 over until somebody says, oh, I get it now. That's how I am with my kids. I tell them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And you might call it lecturing, right? I call it instruction. Instruction. We have a word in the Bible. It's a word called, it's a word justification. It says, Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal about peace. The reason we struggle with peace sometimes is because we don't know the level of justification. Justification is not this concept, and I love the terms, I love the little helpful hints of, I'm justified, justified, never done it, right? The sin, justified, never done it. I like those little things, they they help us. But justification is way more than your atonement of your sin. It's, it's way more beyond the atonement of your sin or the, the cleansing of your sin. It's way beyond that. Okay, so justification. Tim Keller describes it this way. By the way, I'll quote Tim Keller a lot because he's the best gospel preacher. He's my favorite gospel preacher. Um, Tim Keller says justification is a validating performance record that opens doors. So the validating performance record is the record. It's a divine record from Jesus, right? So it's a divine record from Jesus. I'm going to help. I'm sorry, Bruno. I'm going really fast. Okay. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we would be the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we would be the righteousness of God. As he is, so are you in this world. As he is, so are you in this world. But I don't feel like I'm him in this world. You are him in this world. Step up. Get your vision up to him. Realize what you're doing here. As he is, so are you in this world. When we think of justification, we think of going up to God and saying, I'm sinful, and he says... Your sin is atoned for, now you may go. And you're like, oh, oh, I've been atoned for it, now I may go. And I'm going to come back in a week, because I'm going to keep making this mistake again. But I'll, I'll be back, right? That's what, that's what we think of it. I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you may go. Your sin is atoned for. That's how we think of it. Justification is not just that. It's more like this. You come in, and, and by the way, you're filthier than you think you are. I just want to let you know. If, if God showed you the filth that's on you, you would be suicidal. He only gives you a little bit so that you can see your sin and repent. But if you saw everything, you would not feel good at all. And that's what happened to Isaiah. Isaiah saw his sin, and he, he, was, about, you know, he was about at that place where he lost it. Okay, so you come to God, he sees you, and then he says, okay. Let me take that and let me give you a, a new record, a new record. It's, it's not, it's not going to be any record you've ever had before, right? You gave me your D's and F's. I'm going to give you straight A's and you're going to be valedictorian. It's, it's not like you go into a courtroom and, and you sit there and your def- defender is Jesus. And he says, he says, I, I took care of this and, and they're okay. And, 
and we're good to go. And the judge says, okay, good. So you don't get what you deserve, right? You, you, don't, you won't get what you deserve. You may go, right? No, no, no. Instead, in the courtroom, what happens is Jesus says, not only do, not only do I take away your sin in the courtroom before the judge, but I give you a new record. And now, instead of receiving your just dirt, desserts, you're actually getting something that you don't deserve at all. You're actually getting, it's like giving you $100 million in the courtroom instead of sending you to prison. Except the, the resources are unlimited and you can keep accessing them anytime you want. And let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit does not have a revolving door in your heart. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. He's not angry at you. You can grieve him. You can disappoint him. You can make him sad. You can make him upset. But he doesn't leave you. And that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to do all this. So, finally, here we go. Can we have the worship team up? The, the, other, the other, here's the deal. Um, I, have to, I have to share that. I have to share this. I have to share this. A year ago, I, I, I was, um, Steve and Christy were there helping me out. I was struggling a lot. We were pastoring a church, and we were really tired. And we didn't really know how tired we were. I had no idea how tired I was until all of a sudden one day I started having panic attacks, and I had a nervous breakdown. And then I started feeling like I was in hell just about every time I would go through these different situations. And I literally could see myself in a pit. I felt like I was in hell. And I was having these panic attacks, and it was scary. And then through all this process, I started having, I would be afraid to be alone. I would hear thoughts in my head like, go kill yourself, things like that. I was having homicidal thoughts. I, was, I felt like I was losing my mind. Um, and it got really dark, extremely dark. I've never, when people tell me about what darkness looks like, I, I didn't really understand, but it got so dark that I had no choice. I had no option. No option but Jesus. No option but Jesus. Nothing. I had no option. I, I couldn't fix myself. I went to therapy. I went to therapy, took medication, did all that stuff. By the way, I'm, all the medication I'm, I'm not on anymore, right? The Lord, the Lord walked me through this whole process. Walked me through this whole process, but it, it got really dark. And when I thought things would get better, it got worse. And then all of a sudden one day, it just, it just like kind of hit me. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And as I began to recognize that I really have nothing to be afraid of, he has me, he owns me, I'm good, I'm justified, made right. By the way, this takes meditation on his word, worship, all that stuff. When I started going through all this process, the Lord says, okay, now I'm pulling you out. Now go preach some hope. Go preach some hope. And we don't want to hear hope because we have our theologies sometimes. Our theologies tell us that there's no hope. And we have to get back to hope. And the hope is this. You, you're going to win, dude. You're going to win. You're winning. You're, we're all winning. We're all winning. We're winning. Let's get back to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.